So welcome to Flashpoint Podcast. My name is Owen Higgins. I am your host. We're waiting on Brian Meyer. He should be here soon. So like I said, I was gone uh, for um, a week. And during that time, uh, over the last two weeks, uh, some interesting things have happened. I just wanted to share with you guys. Um, First of all, while um, I I think it was two weeks ago, uh, a guest, a former guest on the program uh, named Alex uh, Contempasis <clears throat> was uh, was on trial for an incident that happened uh, during a January sixth um, uh, protest in 2021 in Albany, New York, in, in which uh, he allegedly well, I guess he he just got convicted of it, but that's a bit of a spoiler for what's coming. But um, allegedly stabbed uh, a member of the Proud Boys who was uh, attacking him and his friends. He came on the show to talk about this during, um, I'd been following this case for a while, during our conversation, um, he, uh, I, I read from an affidavit that had been uh, passed to me by somebody uh, close to the case, and because of me reading the affidavit on the air, uh, he, uh, uh, Alex was brought into court and, and accused of basically... Uh, violating like the gag order on on the on on the evidence on the chain of evidence that they thought that he gave it to me even though there was no no like like that wasn't mentioned at all that wasn't talked about at all so uh they were going to subpoena me they didn't uh instead they just kind of brought him in there and yelled at him about his facebook posts then they put him on trial uh this was state uh, he is now looking at a total like max of forty years. Again, this was like a, a, a non-fatal stabbing, not uh, anything that would have hurt somebody more than like than than. I mean, obviously it hurt him, but it wasn't like a mortal wound. It wasn't something that was that was nearly uh, lethal. So he's now facing uh, a large amount of time. I've been talking with some people close to him. Obviously, he's quite worried and upset. Uh, so just a little update uh, on that one. And, and that's kind of been happening over over the past uh, few weeks. And, and we'll have updates for you as we know kind of where he is at and, and, and what's, been, what's going on with him and, and how, you know, people can help and people can, uh, can, can uh, you know, I guess just find ways to support him. Um, so Brian Meyer on October 2nd, um, Brazilians cast of votes. Uh, we, there, was, there was a large group of candidates, including, including um, Lula and Bolsonaro. Uh, and it, it, it kind of came down to them as the two. It's kind of like they, they, they do a runoff system there. So now Brian Meyer of Teleser, just a little introduction, lives in Brazil. Uh, works there, uh, great reporter from down there, has been kind of our number one um, source, I think, for, for, for Brazilian politics there. You may remember him from his debate with Glenn Greenwald and from uh, talking to him about Tucker Carlson's trip down to Brazil. And then we had him on before the October 2nd elections just to talk about what was happening there. So now this is kind of before the runoff. The runoff's going to be on October 30th. So Brian... Uh, thanks for being here. Thanks for joining. How are you doing? Pretty good. Thanks for having me again. 
Absolutely. Sorry about the phone mix up here, but I'm... no, no, that was my bad. You, you, you were right. So I, I invited um, uh, Brian on the wrong, on the wrong thing. So, so thanks, Brian. Uh, thanks, thanks for joining. So, uh, so kind of, so what, what's happened over the last uh, two weeks here? Where, where, where are we at now? Well, you know, um, Bolsonaro performed better than the polls by about five points. A lot of people think a good chunk of that were votes that were originally going towards Cyril Gomez. He uh, spent the last two months of his campaign just like slandering Lula on a daily basis, calling him a baby killer for his stance on abortion rights and, uh, you know, basically comparing him to a flat earther and all of this crap. So basically he uh Ciro's campaign imploded and he dropped from like seven or eight points to three points on election day and bolsonaro picked up five points lula um ended up exactly where he was being polled at he was being polled at 50 percent with a two point margin of error either way and he ended up with like 48.5 so what's going on now basically is that the third and fourth place candidates have pledged support to Lula. Of those two, uh, Simone Tebet, who passed up Glenn's candidate, Cyril Gomez, at the last minute, ended up in third. She's actually like campaigning with Lula, and it looks like some of her votes are coming over. He needs about another one and a half million votes to win in the second round. Bolsonaro needs about seven million votes. So what's happening right now is the campaign has gotten really ugly because Lula's people, Lula was furious in 2018 that Fernando Haddad, who filled in for him after he was barred from running 30 days before the election, didn't, uh, you know, it, he insisted on taking the high road the whole time. And Lula was like, you're not going to beat a guy like this just taking the high road. So Bolsonaro is continuing with all of his outrageous slander, like his latest thing are a series of commercials that are kind of like Willie Horton in Lula, if you remember the Willie Horton commercials for George Bush Sr., it's basically they're saying that um, most people in jail voted for Lula, and they've got some videos of like people being arrested saying they support Lula, and that's what they're running as their campaign commercial. Except Lula uncovered a New York Times interview from 2016, his people, in which Bolsonaro told the interview it's on it's on video you know it was for an article written by simon romero at the time uh he told him that he was once invited to try human flesh because indigenous people um when someone in their tribe dies they just boil them for three days and eat them with bananas and it's their culture and he was invited to try it once and he wanted to you know like this is something he told the new york times and the new york times left that out of the article and it was an article about this new up and coming star on the right. You, you would think now, knowing that in this video, he was talking about the Yanomami people, you know, who are now suffering a kind of genocide because he opened up their reservation for illegal gold miners, right? Their rivers are all being poisoned. You would think that might've been a red flag that this guy repeating some kind of like folk stories from the 1600s about indigenous people in Brazil you know, he might not be, have, be very good for indigenous people if he took office, if you saw that. But New York Times left it out. And But anyway, to get to my point, Lula's people have been using that 
video in their campaign commercials now. <laughs> so it's like yeah, uh, so Bolsonaro's call. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, so they're going on the attack. I, I just wanted to, um, just before we continue to talk about Bolsonaro and Lula, I just wanted to ask you, um, I have, I, I think I saw, I think it was you were, were posting about this, or you had written about it, that Gomes, uh, since dropping out, uh, even though he has, uh, you know, said that he is going to be supporting Lula, he has been attacking him. Is that right? Or he, or he has been, like, harshly critical of him. Uh, despite pledging his support, no, uh, not that's not really true. What's happened is he's just being silent. He's not helping. Like first he said, "Please vote, don't vote for Bolsonaro," and then his party, the PDT, which he only joined a few years ago, is like really worried about all the bridges that have been burned with the rest of the Brazilian left. So they really pressured him to say Lula's name. So he said, "No, everyone should vote for Lula." But he's not saying anything else. He's not campaigning. Yeah, and, and the polls are saying probably half of his remaining people who voted for him are probably going to vote for Lula. Half are going to vote for Bolsonaro. So he's, not, he's, not, he's no longer attacking Lula. Uh, Greenwald is kind of doing that, though. <laughs> well, right. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, that's, you know, conservative social media influencers going to, uh, you know, uh, promote the conservative candidate. But... Um, so, so when you say that Lula needs 1.5 million votes, where are they going to come from? Well, um, Simone Tebet, who was in third place finisher, she had 5 million votes. And Ciro had about 4 million votes. So all he needs is 30% of Simone Tebet's votes, unless there's a huge difference in abstentions, in which case... Um, if they have a lot fewer abstentions, it could hurt Lula. But it looks like they're pulling all all the uh, gun, you know all their forces out, and they're trying to raise participation in the second round. So if they can do that, they'll probably that will probably also guarantee a win. And what does it look like there right now? Like you know, you're you're, you're there. I mean, is it just like wall to wall campaigning everywhere you go in Brazil, or or is it? Um, kind of just yeah. concentrating somewhere. Like, like what, what, what is it like to be, to, to be in, in an election in Brazil? For people, for an American audience, you know, listening to this and and uh, trying to understand what a Brazilian election is like. What 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 is that like? What what is it like when when you're in the midst of it? Well, despite um, democracy only returning to Brazil in 1985, or maybe because of that, they have a lot of electoral laws that I think are better than a lot better than the United States. For one, the official campaign can only last for six weeks, right? So you don't have these people like campaigning. It's actually illegal. You, you have a period called a pre-campaign, which lasts about six months, but you can't specifically say certain things during the pre-campaign period. Once the official campaign starts, all candidates get free commercial airtime on all radio and TV stations in the country that's mandatory for those stations to play every night during prime time. And so the amount of free airtime you get depends on how many seats your political party has in Congress. And, you know, there's like 23 parties in Congress. So it gets complicated and they make um, coalitions and stuff. But it's really interesting because it takes a lot of the money out of politics. You know, also corporate donations are illegal. And so... Uh, parties that might not be backed by 
you know, elites still have a chance of getting things done, uh, which is interesting. You know, it's interesting. But uh, so for this last six, this six week period, which has just been extended another four weeks because the election is going to a second round. It's very intense. I mean, there's like um, Lula, for example, he's going to two campaign rallies a day in two different cities every day, seven days a week for the entire month. Bolsonaro is doing the same. Uh, if you see, you know, every taxi you get, every Uber or whatever other service app you use, um, 80% of the drivers will be campaigning for one or another candidate, basically. <laughs> and on all the intersections, there are people with flags with the candidates and stuff like that. So it's pretty, I think it's more concentrated than a U.S. election campaign in the sense that it's all just pushed into one short window of time. Yeah, so it's kind of like the intensity is a lot higher, but the amount of people, or, or the, the intensity is a lot higher, but you're not like inundated with it for like, you know, uh, two years, basically. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. So um, it, what are the stakes here? So you kind of mentioned this before, um, and, and I think let's, let's start with Bolsonaro, right? Because he, he is coming to the end of his first term as president. Um, you know, I mean, obviously... Anybody who has been paying attention to this knows that this guy is a far right, uh, like, and that's a charitable way of, of, of describing his governing style, a far right, far right uh, dictatorial, uh, corporate, uh, uh, corp um, just uh, been terrible for the rainforest, been terrible for uh, rights, has, has, has openly wished to go back to the military dictatorship. But what has it really been like for his first four years, that, A? And then B, uh, what is the fear uh, on the left and maybe for, for moderates and liberals as well in Brazil of what another four years of Bolsonaro could do? Well, Bolsonaro as a person, he is a fascist. You know, he's a, I guess Noam Chomsky and Edward Herman would call him a sub-fascist because he's fascist, but he's subordinate to the U.S., you know, specifically Trump and Bannon and those people. Um, but he's not that competent. I mean, he's not as competent as what you would picture in your, he your head if you heard of like a fascist government, like, you know, uh, Spain under Francisco Franco or something like that. Like, th he's not very well organized and he doesn't appoint talented people to his ministries, his his cabinet. You know, he appoints like folkloric uh, characters with large YouTube, uh, with large Twitter following, YouTuber or whatever, social media, who don't have any real skills. You know, so his health minister during the pandemic was someone with no health experience, who wasn't a doctor. You know, um, a lot of these people he appoints are um, in evangelical churches. You know, they're just like pastors or something. They don't have any experience in politics. And so it's not exactly as if we've been living under fascism for the last four years. I mean, we've been living under this kind of like clown government. But the important thing is that economically, it's been completely neoliberal. It's, it's all been based on privatizations, austerity, butchering funding for the public health system. They tried to start charging for the public university system and failed because of all the protests. But um, the problem is if he wins now, this economic project, which is really started in 2016 with the coup against Dilma Rousseff, is just going to continue for another four years. And all of the social safety nets 
that were put during the 13 years of Workers' Party government, and even from the previous government, Fernando and Hige Cardoso, a little bit, you know, all of that's just going to be destroyed. And poverty, hunger is going to go through the roof. And not and the environmental situation is going to get really bad because if he wins this, then it, he's going to take that as being kind of like a green light to increase deforestation of the Amazon, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, just like a total disaster on 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 almost every level, especially for the indigenous people who are living there, right? I mean, like they're the ones who are going to bear the brunt of this. Yes, exactly. And I mean, his his idea for indigenous peoples that they should all convert to Christianity and start wearing Western clothes and, you know, assimilate, which is ridiculous because there's still 42 tribes in the deep in the Amazon who don't ha really have any contact with outsiders. You know, just a government indigenous affairs agent visits them once a month or something. But other than that, they're just like uncontacted tribes. And his idea is that they should all just stop speaking their languages, stop following their culture and just become born again Christians and, you know, <laughs> live in cities. It's just disgusting. I mean, it's it's like a crime against humanity just for all of the culture the knowledge on medicinal plants and things like that, that we would lose if that happened. But that's his, uh, that's what he wants. That's what the military wants too, or the military that follow him, you know. Not, not to mention that like the loss, uh, what the loss of the Amazon would do to the rest of the world, which would be. Yeah. It's like 20% of the earth's oxygen. Yeah. Just a total, a, a total catastrophe, a total disaster. Um, Speaking of the military, you know, one, one thing that we've been hearing, um, especially on the left in, in the U.S. And, and I think internationally, is that there is a fear that should Bolsonaro lose the election, especially if it's close, that, that uh, he would try uh, to institute some sort of a coup or, or, or make a coup attempt with, with parts of the military. I've seen uh, in reporting here in, in the U.S., like that kind of being given uh, some weight at times and then not weight at other times. What, from, from your perspective, is, is that a likely thing to happen or, or is it kind of unlikely at this point? Well, if you had asked me this yesterday when I was originally scheduled to come, I might have given a different answer. But today he, he instructed all of his followers, especially the armed ones, to surround all of the polling stations on election day after they vote. So, I mean, I don't think he has enough. I think he's too isolated to try and pull anything off with the military at this point. You know, it looks like the military, especially since Bernie Sanders and his allies pushed through that law in the Senate saying that they're going to isolate Brazil if th this auto coup actually happens. Um, but he does have all of these wacko followers, just like Trump, in, you know, January 6th. I mean, it's, it's not really the I don't think he's going to be able to pull anything off with a government, but he is going to have some kind of like massive clown event and maybe violence. Maybe some people are going to even die. Terrorist, terrorist activity, you know, acts and things like that from his fanatical followers. And, uh, you know, he's two million guns have come into the country since he took office most of these people are armed so uh it should be interesting at least you know but i think the reason they do that like i don't think trump personally or his people his handlers whatever 
thought that they were going to really overthrow the government on January 6th, what it does is it kind of like destabilizes the next government that comes in and leaves a large percentage of the population like not believing anything that that government does. Um, and, and I think that it, at the very least, this kind of stuff would um, undermine a potential Lula presidency. I think that's a pretty, I think that's a pretty sharp comment. I, I think that, yeah, because it does sound like he is trying to have his own little January 6th event, right? Like, like he wants to have his own version of that um, with his supporters. And, you know, especially if, if, if he wants them to be surrounding the polling place with their guns, uh, it, like, like you said, I mean, things could get um, out of control quite quickly. Um, I see we have Brian uh, uh, Conlon uh, here. Um, what, like, it does seem like he has a, a lot of momentum here. Um, he, he, is, he, he has the support of, obviously, the left, and I'm, sur I'm sure, like, you know, liberal society uh, within Brazil. Um, so what, what is his campaign looking like and, and what is like kind of the, you know, the best, best case outcome should he win, uh, on the 30th and, and become president? Well, first of all, the, there's only one demographic group, group economically that favors Lula. And that is the, uh, people making up to two minimum salaries. All of the other people in Brazil favor Bolsonaro. So like the liberal class actually favors Bolsonaro, just to, to give you an idea. But the thing is, 70% of the country makes less than two times the minimum salary. So that's the majority, you know, and he's, he's polling at over two to one among that group. That's why he's winning the election. Now he gets some support from other social classes. And what's happened is that there seems to be a division among economic elites now because they just think I think it's the same thing they thought with Boris Johnson maybe it's just like he's so incompetent even though his heart's in the right place we can't have it Bolsonaro for four more years because <laughs> he's like he can't really deliver even on the stuff he's promising that would be good for the business community right so so that's what the his backers look like he's ha he's backed by organized labor and by the social movements and by the poor basically and you know so the problem is that in order for him to get into any position where he can govern, he has to make negotiations with all of these right wing parties like he did, like he and Dilma Rousseff did the first time around, because um, the Workers Party never had more than 25 percent of Congress and they never had more than 14 senators. Now they have nine senators out of 81. So they're going to have to make all of these alliances with right-wing parties in order to push anything through and that is going that's what caused some people to accuse lula of being a neoliberal the first time around it's like the misunderstanding of the context the political party the workers party is much farther left than any government they've ever run on a national level because of these coalitions and so he's already gone into you know he's making deals with everybody right now uh, you know, on the center right, basically, to try and get their support. And so he's going to have to give a bunch of ministries to center right parties. But he's, he's going to, um, I feel like, pretty solidly uh, confident that he's going to fulfill his key campaign promises, which are reindustrialization, um, halting all privatizations, more money for education and public health, and um, 
and putting a stop or at least severely slowing down the deforestation in the Amazon. And he's explained how he'll do that. I think he can pull it off. Some of the other provinces that are more left-wing than that stuff are going to be really hard to push through, but I think he can deliver on those core issues. And that's, and that's definitely a start. All right. Let's, let's welcome uh, Brian Conlon in here um, with comments. Um, Brian, you are all set. Uh, what's up? Yeah. Hey guys, how's it going? So, um, like, I think, I think you read about Bolsonaro, like, obviously I don't speak Portuguese or read it or anything like that, but kind of having studied sort of the history of how these kinds of political movements operate, like really having a good understanding of the experience of Italy uh, during the Cold War uh, really does sort of mark out the strategy up to and including um, like the whole sort of anti-corruption push as a way to destroy the left. Um, the the Lava Jato's uh, efforts that ultimately led to the, the coup against Dilma uh, had a predecessor in Italy called, I think, uh, uh, in Italian, it was clean hands. Mani um, Paluti. Yeah. yeah. And so again, like I think understanding sort of the strategy of tension where, where like in the immediate term, yeah, it means that this might end up being sort of a, a, a defeat um, for Bolsonaro, but instability, uncertainty, chaos, these are all things that will ultimately benefit the right in the long run because they're the ones that have the, the institutional power and the legitimacy. And then if things get so bad, you know, Lula is essentially counting on, um, you know, parts of the, the ruling class, the aristocracy, uh, defecting essentially and supporting him rather than Bolsonaro. And so if you basically make things uncertain, then it makes it more receptive for a right-winger, even one that's as incompetent and and out of touch with reality as, as Bolsonaro to, to come in because then you're going to start having people like desperate for this, right? Like you can see a reflection of this sort of in 2021 with the backlash against the Democrats who didn't do any particularly good things when it came to uh, criminal justice reform, but because that was sort of the narrative, right? And the protests and the riots and all this other stuff. And 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 so like, I think that's that's legitimately the big concern is, is creating instability and chaos and that ultimately will feed in and justify a, like a coup, an actual coup uh, down the road. Um, one other thing I wanted to ask about is, uh, speaking of, of Lava Jato, fucking uh, Sergei Moro, uh, did he end up winning a seat? Yeah, he got that. That was like the worst thing that happened. Um, he got elected to the Senate, which means that he's oh. immune from prosecution of all 12 criminal, you know, cases against him right now for eight years because senators can't be tried in a regular court of law. He could only be impeached by his peers in the Senate and then he could go. That to ain't going to fucking happen. No, of course not. Of course not. But um, regarding what you're saying about, um, Operation Clean Hands and Mani Paluti and all of that stuff. 
keep in mind that that's exactly what they tried to do to Lula in 2003. Like when I interviewed him with Michael Brooks that one time, they were he was Lula was like, he said he knew that their plan was for him to win the election, and then they'd turn his government into such chaos that no one would ever want to elect a leftist in Brazil for 30 years. And they failed the first time around. Um, they tried a predecessor to Lava Jato called um, Mensalão scandal, which the, all the people who were originally hailed as anti-corruption crusaders in that scandal, they're all in Bolsonaro camp now. Um, that didn't stick. They were unable to stick anything on Lula. They couldn't impeach him because he's just got a lot of a lot of charisma and he's got got the capacity to put a lot of people on the streets and they just weren't able to do it. So they're they're going to try it again, obviously. And I think the thing that really annoys the conservative elites in Brazil is that Bolsonaro isn't the right wing leader they wanted. You know, they, there's an old saying in Brazil, the bourgeoisie preser- uh, prefers a fascist that can eat with a knife and a fork. I mean, they want someone they don't want a clown representing them internationally, you know. And so I don't, they don't think, want the embarrassment. Yeah, they don't want the embarrassment. I mean, it's humiliating. Right. <laughs> but they're happy with the economic policies, obviously. So um, I, th- I don't think in the long run, anything that happens is going to like strengthen Bolsonaro. If he doesn't win this time around, which I really hope he doesn't, it doesn't look like he is right now. But you never know with these last minute poll surges that the Bannon types always orchestrate, you know, but still two weeks to the election, Bolsonaro is still losing by nine points in the polls. No one who voted for Lula is going to change their vote, you know, but anyway, we don't know what's going to happen, but if Bolsonaro loses, I don't think we'll be in a situation where like four years later, everyone will be worried about him running for president again, you know, um, because I don't think his, I don't think his backers, I don't know. I just don't think, I think they're going to push for some kind of, First of all, they know Lula's only going to be president for four years. He says he doesn't, you know, he's old. He doesn't want to be president for the rest of his life. He's not going to run for re-election. And I think at that moment, they're going to try and put in some kind of right-wing, polite right-wing, kind of like Clintonian neoliberal type or something. I mean, that that is like an interesting, and, and, and we'll get back to Brian C. here uh, in a second for some, um, for some thoughts there, but... You know, the, uh, that is an interesting question. Like, Lula obviously would probably want to have somebody uh, on the left to succeed him. And, of course, uh, Bolsonaro or, or, the, or the people, the, the right-wing institutions, the bourgeoisie, would obviously want somebody who has a lot of Bolsonaro's policies but without the stupidity. Um, you know, do you think... Which one do you think is more likely? I mean, you know, I think if we see another four years of Bolsonaro, much like if there had been another four years of Trump in the U.S., um, there would be kind of like this unforeseen damage uh, that that is really hard to kind of calculate and kind of hard to wrap your head around. But and and probably the same in uh, Brazil uh, for Bolsonaro, but. Are we looking at a situation where it, it sounds like you're saying that you don't think that he's going to come back, but do you think that somebody uh, as bad or even worse maybe could come back and could come and, um, you know, be be this level of danger, this level of, of fascistic threat where 
but they would be doing it, I guess, like, you know, kind of, you know, in, 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 in a nicer suit, you know, being, being more polite. Is that the kind of thing that you, that, that, that you think we might be seeing? Or is, it, or is it really the danger is that it's kind of this Clintonian neoliberal who will kind of institute these terrible uh, laws and, and these terrible economic policies, but, but do it with maybe like a little bit more social liberalism, a little bit more uh, moderate politics? Identity politics or something. Um, yeah, what the dream of the bourgeois elite is to have someone who's just like um, another Fernando Henrique Cardoso, but the Brazilian people just can't stand neoliberals anymore they can't stand privatization is like just the the one candidate who was like pushing for more privatizations ended up with zero percent of the vote even though he was from a large party with wealthy backers like that's a really hard sell in brazil that's why bolsonaro you know bolsonaro people are voting for bolsonaro because of his fascist rants and ignoring his economic policies that are screwing up the entire country so they the elites want to keep the same economic policies in place. They might give a little bit in to social programs or something if they can make sure that um, they're not going to renationalize all of the petroleum that they've privatized and stuff like that. But um, you know, I don't. I don't think the danger is another, you know, clown fascist Bolsonaro. I think it's the danger is someone who's who seems okay, who just keeps all of the same economic policies going, you know? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, uh, the, the, certainly the same economic policies going are just going to lead to more rot and more, more stagnation, hey, I guess. I'll give you yeah. an example, you know, like yeah. um, defunding all of the regulatory agencies that protect against deforestation in the Amazon. He cut funding by like 90%. So that's, that's what austerity policies do, you know, uh, that kind of stuff, like um, butchering the public health system right before pandemic started. That's the kind of stuff that uh, there could be a, you know, polite uh, candidate who wears a suit or whatever, who speaks well, who's like less, um, less race openly racist or something like that but if they keep all that stuff in place then it's not going to change anything i mean the the real damage to the amazon is being done by austerity targeted at regulatory agencies there and by you know allowing companies to build uh grain ports in the middle of the amazon jungle and stuff like that yeah it's 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 obscene let's bring let's bring brian back in here and then we'll wrap on the other side um brian uh welcome back i don't know if you had anything else to add there but i thought that i would have you come in for for another few thoughts yeah i, I just got uh, one question that i think uh uh brian can probably riff on uh, pretty well and I, I and that is sort of what do you know about the role of the evangelical church um organizing in support of bolsonaro particularly in the favelas yeah, okay. Well, this is a, uh, it's kind of like a, mis it's been misleadingly portrayed in the North. Um, a couple of things have happened. First of all, the evangelical bank or caucus in Congress, which spans, you know, a dozen political parties and stuff. They lost like 30 seats in this election. The evangelicals end up losing a lot of power. Um, 
And when Lula was in jail, he thought a lot about evangelicals and people on, you know, how to, because it, it's a long story. I could, I don't want to go into the whole story here of why there's so many evangelicals in Brazil now, but it, um, but basically because of the excellent political organizing work done by the workers party at the base level, they managed to like double the support of evangelical Christians for the workers party in this election. So it's not so clear cut. If you look at the results of the first round, Bolsonaro did better with them, but not near, it wasn't as nearly, nearly as black as white and white as it was in 2018. I think Lula ended up with around 30% of the evangelical Christian vote and Bolsonaro probably had around 50, but you know, in the, in 2018, it was like 90, 10 or something, 85, 15. So I think they did a lot of good work. Lula has been meeting with all the, these evangelical leaders and stuff. So it's not the same. Uh, and I, th I think the BBC has been acting like it's these poor black evangelical Christians who love Bolsonaro or something. In fact, evangelicals in favelas and places like that are much less likely to vote for Bolsonaro than, you know, middle class evangelicals, lower middle class, middle and upper middle class evangelicals are really his core support base uh, among the poor in all, you know, in all any way you cross section or whatever. Um, people making less than one minimum salary, you know, 65% of them voted for, uh, for Lula this time around. And those who are evangelical, probably like 50%. It's, it's mostly just middle-class evangelicals who, who are backing Bolsonaro. I mean, not that there aren't, you know, poor people who vote for Bolsonaro. You see them all the time, but they're in the minority. Yeah, that's really interesting. Sometime we'll have to have you come back on. We'll talk more about the evangelicals maybe once once the election uh, dies down. So, Brian, I guess just like final question here um, is, you know, for for people who are listening who haven't been paying maybe a whole bunch of attention uh, to what is going on uh in Brazil, um, why is this so important? Why is this such an important uh, part of the world uh, for people both like in the U.S. and the Western Hemisphere, uh, in the world in general? Why is it so important uh, for, for people to pay attention to what is happening uh, in this country? Well, because it's just for starts, it's the second biggest country in terms of population um, in and in terms of GDP in the Americas. So, it's, I mean, it, it has a it does what a hundred billion dollars worth of trade a year with the United States, and also because it's it's the most important country economically and population wise in Latin America. And so um, we see this pink tide picking up again in South America. More and more left governments, a historic you know first in Colombia with Petro, uh, and so if if uh, Lula wins, the left will be solidly consolidated again in South America and Latin America in general. So that's good because that means less poverty, more people getting enough food, less people trying to move up to the US, for example. <laughs> um, there's all kinds of repercussions, but also importantly, just the Amazon rainforest. You know, it's Brazil is the custodian of the largest tract of rainforest, and that's important for everyone on the earth. Yes, yeah, internationally important. Well, 
Uh, Brian, thank you so much, Brian Meyer of Telesur. Where can people uh, find you and find your work? Well, on Twitter, Brian M. Telesur. Brazil Wire, I co-edit the blog Brazil Wire. Sometimes I write for FAIR. And if you speak Portuguese, I host a web TV show called Globalistas every Monday morning at 10 a.m. Brazil time. Excellent. Well, uh, thanks again, Brian. Thanks for joining us. Um, in, enjoy the rest of your uh, relaxation time before you jump right back into uh, covering this uh, intense election. Um, for everybody else, uh, we'll see you on Sunday uh, at noon when we'll have Sam Knight on to talk about the news of the day. Uh, Brian Meyer, thank you again so much. Brian Collin, thank you for calling in. Uh, everybody else, we'll see you soon. Bye, guys. Bye.